Filmmakers make films, but films make filmmakers. From blockbuster premieres to grindhouse theaters, late night cable to the local video store, there is no greater classroom for aspiring filmmakers than cinema itself. Join your host, Eric Skorzynski, as he dives deep into the minds of legendary directors, producers, actors, and more to discover their biggest influences and to explore the impact their films are leaving behind. This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. You cannot have any serious conversation about 1980s cinema without mentioning today's guest. Diane Franklin is an icon, to say the very least. She began her acting career at the age of 10, started modeling, doing theater, commercials, and soap opera work, and then she won the lead role of the dream girl in the cult classic The Last American Virgin. Soon after that, she played Patricia Montelli in Amityville 2, The Possession, and then her breakout film role was the role of Monique on the offbeat comedy Better Off Dead, which I have to say was on loop in my house growing up. We watched that movie all the time, and she's so fantastic in it. And her most notable commercial success was playing the medieval princess babe Joanna from the 1980s iconic comedy Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. In addition to acting, Diane Franklin has also written two autobiographies, including Diane Franklin, The Excellent Adventures of the Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s, and Diane Franklin, The Excellent Curls of the Last American French Exchange Babe of the 80s. Her other acting credits include episodic television like Charles in Charge, Murray She Wrote, Matlock, and Dallas the Early Years. And she's also recurred in television series and movies made for television, such as Summer Girl and Deadly Lessons. And Diane Franklin is not slowing down. She starred in award-winning comedies like Humanized and My Better Half, and more recently a comedy web series on YouTube titled Sugar Babies. Diane returned to acting on the big screen in 2018 with the following films, Wally Got Wasted, Waking Nightmare, The Final Interview, and The Amityville Murders, The Haunting on Long Island. I really loved today's interview, and she was so kind to take a lot of time out of her day uh, to do this interview and answered some amazing questions about her career, gave some perspectives on depictions of teens in the 80s and what we can learn from those depictions, and really gave some insights into the types of projects she'd like to see made now. And uh, really enjoyed this conversation. I know you will too. And uh, without further ado, let's get into my interview with Diane Franklin. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Diane, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. My pleasure. Thank you, Eric, for having me. This is, I'm very excited to do your show. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. And um, you're a very familiar face because my mom actually was a huge fan of Better Off Dead. And so that was on rotation a lot uh, at our house. So uh, I love this film. I was writing a book about it right now. So really? Mom, yes, that I will be coming out with a book, knock on wood, um, around February. So that's awesome. Yeah. So if you're a better off dead fan, check my website. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. No, I was, bl- I mean, it was a mind shattering moment when I found out that you weren't actually French. Uh, Cause okay, that I'm was, French. I'm not American. I do a very good American accent. So no. that was how I knew you for so long. And then realizing like, Oh, Bill and Ted's and all the, Oh, she's not really English. <laughs> so <laughs> Suddenly I'm talking like this and everyone's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so yeah, great. <laughs> where, where, where did that come from? Cause this is something I, re- I read your book, um, Diane Franklin, the excellent adventures of the last American French exchange babe of the eighties. And it sounds like from the time you were a little kid that you were just 
an entertainer? Like, where did that come from? What was kind of the spark that made you want to throw out accents and stand on tables and sing in front of people? Like, what what brought that out? Well, I have to be very honest. It was pretty weird. I wasn't I wasn't a kid who was showy as much as I was a kid that was creative. Hmm. You could not stop me from being creative. I used to, I mean, from a young age, like, well, see here, I, I was raised as, as an only child, so I had to keep myself busy. I didn't have a sibling to play with, you know? Hmm. And so I would just, I, um, I would, you know, be in my own world and dance and sing and, um, I think television at the time, because, you know, when you're when you're young, you sat in front of the TV a lot, um, or at least during the you know 60s, uh, parents put their kids in front of the TVs a lot because they were busy cleaning and doing whatever. Um, so I really I just I had a very strong um, imagination and I just would create stories. And my dad was a, a printer. So what he would do is bring home paper and I would write books and write and draw and write poetry and write songs. And um, I sang and I danced and I, I just did all that. And then, um, so I think what happened was from that, once you go into school, you know, you start, you know, be doing plays in school. And so I started, you know, kind of being able to use all my um talent i would say to in a place that people would want to see you you know <laughs> like yeah. a school play or whatever um so i think that uh, but actually at four years old that was really i remember watching like that girl i, I started mm-hmm. i really wanted to be marla thomas who was playing a TV, um, an actress on the show that girl and um i think we really get inspired by the people and it can be you know I'm, i always say it's marla thomas and, and because it's a very that's a very quirky person like people don't normally think about um like her as an inspiration but she was one of the few dark-haired actresses that at the time and I really bonded with her so like you know sometimes you'll watch an actor and you know you go well that's me or or I understand that person has my energy you know or that Hmm. person I speaks to me and so that's how I originally got my uh, my instinct my uh, desire you know, to, to do it. And um, I really strongly think that, I mean, and that's funny, I teach kids now and you can see at a very young age, what, uh, who lightens up and who just brightens up when they perform. Hmm. And it's, and then there's another thing too. I've also seen kids who are very shy, but the minute you put them on stage, they open up and they free Hmm. up. And I think that for me, uh, certainly as a teacher, like I can never put any kid aside. I can never look at a kid and go, oh, that they're not an entertainer because you'd be so surprised with the right encouragement and the yeah. right belief, how they just blossom. And really yeah. it's true. Well, it, it sounded like reading your book, like you had very supportive parents, you know, which is, is contrary to so many interviews you hear where, you know, my parents want me to be a doctor and then I ran away from home and became an actor, you know, or I became a director. And um, I mean, from an early age, did it seem to you that it was a viable path as a career? Did your parents really, really push that? Well, that's such a great question because, you know, my parents were supportive, but they weren't like pushy. They weren't like, you know, come on, baby, let's you know, get on Broadway. Like, yeah, you know, right. They were not at all like that. They were like, what do we do with this child or energy? Like, what's, what's happening? Like, they were more uh, like just following my lead, you know, like my interests. Um, mind you, I 
I, you know, I tried to, I guess we tried to get an agent when I was like four, like, cause I mm. bugged my parents. I was like, I really want to do it. I really want to do it. And I think people saw that I kept, you know, performing and I kept doing it until I was 10 years old. And I showed my parents, you know, I still was interested. Eventually they wore down. And I, they did. Um, but the question you asked, and I think this is a very good question is, did they tell me, oh no, don't do it. You know, you're not going to make it. And, and what if you don't? And this is where the advantage of having very older, very old parents came in. My mom was 40 when she had me. Hmm. And what happened was I, my parents were like grandparents. So by the time I was 10, they were in their fifties and they were more like, you know, life is short. Do what you love. Like they really were surprisingly open-minded and trusting and they never worried I never felt any worry from them hmm. um, never I mean they didn't even have aspirations to me going to college wow. I think they just figured I would be who I was and that was fine which is a really amazing gift yeah in, I think in America sometimes people get nervous and worried and I it's so funny you say that I just had a woman who I spoke to um, I had a teacher I spoke to and she said to me oh you know kids love to act but you know can they make a living at it and I was like oh my gosh of course they can but you don't see it and mm. it's because a lot of parents are nervous because they didn't do it they yeah. don't know how to guide that child and they they get scared because because they don't understand the freelance lifestyle. Yeah. So I'm saying if you're a dancer, a singer, an artist, an actor, an, um, uh, you, I mean, I'm not going to even say athletes, you know, you don't know where that pay paychecks. I mean, in a certain way, athletes have kind of a different path, but, or gymnasts, people who have a path that demands a different kind of lifestyle, mm. a different schedule. Um, the only thing I have to say is, you must be self-motivated. And if you're the kind of person who it doesn't like to be self-motivated, I'm not even going to say you can't be. I'm going to say you don't like that life. Hmm. Then acting and performing is not for you. Because an acting life is when you're working, you're working hard, but you're always looking, look, you also put out what you're going to do for your next job. When you're not working, you, you'll do, you do anything you have to to if it's work at night or whatever like you do it to go on those auditions during the day hmm. maybe you do five different jobs i don't know what it is but you have to you find a way real artists find a way to survive and live can you have a family like that that's the tr that's the tricky part and the reason why i'm saying that is because if you if you do have a family chances are you probably need to start early or get savings because once you have a child to me, like I have kids, um, you know, I did my career all before I had kids. Yeah. And then yeah. once I had my kid, I'm telling you, you have to give to that child. Yeah. And I don't mean money. I mean, attention. Yeah. So, and this is what my parents gave me. They gave me their attention. And, and that doesn't mean they watched me do dance and sing all the time, but they spent time with me, explained things to me, talked to me. You know, this is a very important thing in life. And, you know, today everyone's working so hard, it's hard to do. So if you have, if you, so, but I will say this, let's say you have a child, you raise that child, you work really hard, that child grows up, now you can do some more acting, or no, now no. you can do your singing. And I'm not saying you have to stop at all. Uh, in fact, like, why not, you know, 
maybe bring that child to a play you're doing or, you know what I'm saying? But incorporate the child in the life right. as opposed to, um, because if you, if you, I mean, look, like the, there's no, there's no easy fix. If you, if you have a child and it's early and you're like, okay, I have to deal with this, embrace the child into the world you're doing. And that child is a benefit. Yeah. Um, but if you get mad at that child, cause you can't do what you want, well, then that's not good. So no. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, um, I talk with my wife about that all the time. It's like, it is such a different thing. We have a four-year-old now and, and it's such a, it's such a, it's such a weird thing. Cause like, it's easy. Even when you're just a couple, you know, getting started, it's like easy. Like, oh, I can be the starving artist and I can do this and yeah. I can work long hours. And then it's like, yeah, but my kid can't starve and she can't work the long hours. So it's a it's a totally different thing. And I'm gonna say this. It used to be where actors were just act like like you're an actor, you didn't do anything else, or producer, that's all you did, or or you're a writer, and that's it. Today it's different. So you can be a writer, director, actor, uh barista, um, dance teacher, um, you know, sales call person. I mean, you could do all the things you and I mean, look, I mean you know, even doing podcasts is part of your life. It's not all of your life, you know, for me, even as a teacher, like, I mean, I do movies, I still do movies, but, um, I actually, uh, when I had my kids, I wound up going back for my degree. I had not finished my degree because I, the business pulled me out, you know, when an opportunity knocks, you better answer. And, um, business pulled me out. I did all a lot of movies and stuff. And then when I got married, it was like, okay, I'm pulling back and I'm going to focus on my family. And um, I had my, you know, kids and I started teaching because I wanted to give back. But also that's the way I could bring my kids into teaching dramas. So I started teaching acting. And so they learned a lot. And um, and then I wound up getting going back for my degree. Why? Because I feel like as you get older, why should we ever stop learning? Seriously, like yeah. fill the cup. Like we, it's so weird. I don't even get it. Like people just go done with school. Now I never can go back. Like, yeah. what? Like, I want to learn Russian. I want to, you know, I'd like to learn gymnastics. I'd like to, you know, do philosophy. Like, there's so many, like, science. So, like, why Why do we judge ourselves and stop growing? That's something that's evident in, like, all of your interviews and in your in your book is that you constantly are referencing people that you learned from or were influenced by. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting because in your book you talk about you know, you were trying to think of how to, what tone to bring across in your auditions and what to be. And you came across the word like nondescript, you know, like you wanted to be the same in the waiting room as you were in the actual audition. And when I was looking at some of the people you've cited as inspirations, they all have that kind of vibe around them, this very natural kind of naturalistic vibe. De Niro, who's probably the most extreme, I mean, he's got personality, but he's very real feeling. Meryl Streep, Lucille Ball, Marlo Thomas, like, is that what kind of drew you to their performances that they felt like real people? Uh, Well, actually, what drew me, I mean, and it's interesting, all of these actors have an energy. Hmm. They have a, they have a aura. And they affect you. There's an intensity in different ways. Marla Thomas is an upbeat. You know, Lucio Ball has that, you know, kind of, uh, she has a feeling of like, um, there's a one sense of wonder to her. Whenever she acts, you don't, you. she always is taken by surprise by things. And that's what makes it funny. You know, she's like, 
the first time she's doing it. And uh, she's really taking in the moments. And I, I just always thought that was really cool. There was a character that she wasn't a know-it-all. She was the one who was like, oh, okay, well, I, there was no judgment. There was an innocence, right? Yeah. Um, and with De Niro, um, he was, I mean, all of these people are authentic to who they are. De Niro's always De Niro, but at the same time, what I love about De Niro is he gives to his characters. He is completely vulnerable, and it's almost like, I mean, I, I, I've actually met him, and I saw him prepare once um, wow. for a scene, and it was so awesome, because <laughs> it was really awesome, because he did what I, I love. See, when you really have your acting skill down, you can go in and out of it, um, like a, like with precision. Hmm. So one of the things he did, which was really interesting and inspiring was he was, he was really getting himself all like upset. Like, you know, he's getting he's mad and he was like in his own world. And then uh, someone introduced me to him and said, Oh, Bobby, this is Diane. And he was like, Oh, hi, nice to meet you. Okay. And then, and then I got to prepare. I'm like, okay, fine. And he was back to this thing. And I was like, that's it. He could be who he is and he hmm. could come out for a minute and obviously, and then, uh, but he's working. So he goes back to his job. So to me, that that is a very inspirational kind of an actor. Hmm. The person who knows who they are, but they also know who their character is and they can go into it. They have that, uh, they have this sense of, I mean, and not all actors work this way, um, but you can allow yourself to be in it, but you also, you're, I'm going to say you're the leader, you're in charge of your character. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And and yeah. I feel like um, as, as well as Meryl Streep, you know, when I see her perform, I I look at her and I think she she doesn't she doesn't care what anyone thinks. Yeah. I mean, she might care, you know, later on. But when she's working, her main objective is to be, you know, yeah. to be that person. And there's a, almost like the rest of the world doesn't exist. I am this person. Let's make this happen. Yeah. And I love that. I love that feeling. Yeah. That's to me like I love. So that's why when I get when I get acting roles, most exciting thing to me is are the roles. It, it's not the films as much as the roles. I really right. am attracted to good roles. And if the role feels good, then I'll be like, yes. And if the role doesn't feel right, I'll be like, you know what? This isn't going to showcase me well because it's not me. Like, I, yeah. I'm going to also tell you if you're an actor, if there's the greatest role in the world, but you're not if you're not right for it it won't service you. Hmm. It will not service you well. It will be like, it, it will seem like you're a bad actor if you're not cast well. So it's important to, you know, trust sometimes. If you get hired in something, maybe you don't see it, but they do. So then, you know, commit fully into, to finding your place in it. You know? Right, right. Yeah, that's something that's so, you know, like, like again, like with everybody you mentioned, like they are unique. Like De Niro is over the top at times, but like, it still feels like he is just being, he's in the scene and that's him. It doesn't feel forced. And I think sometimes you see someone try to be an edgy character or a tough character. And it, because it's who he is. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying now, because there are some people who are De Niro wannabes. Yeah. Like they want that intensity, yeah. or they want, but you, it has to come from you. And that comes from life experience. Mm-hmm. You can't act what you don't know somewhere along the line in your life. Something's happened where you can access that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's gotta be, you know, my husband says it's so funny. He, he had a, a, a acting teacher, I think at NYU who said this to him. And it was like some, some people deep down, there is no deep down. So like, I always remember that I was like, 
oh, I never occurred to me that that, but there's some people who don't, they don't go that deep. Yeah. And, and actors do. We, you know, you feel it. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I want to talk a little bit about your, uh, one of your first major roles, which was Last American Virgin, which actually I had watched so many of your films getting ready for this interview. Some I had already seen, some that I, you know, some that I hadn't seen yet. And Last American Virgin is very hard to find streaming. And I was like getting down to the wires, trying to find a, a way to watch it. And just barely last time I was like, okay, I found it. Let's watch it. And so we watched for the first time. It's the first time I'd ever seen the movie. And wow. um, it's great. Thank you. Like, yeah. uh, I, I, it's funny you say that because people who think, oh, Last American Virgin, it's a light title. It's, you know, silly. It's not. <laughs> it's like a, a, a teen, you know, oh, it's a teen sex film and all that stuff. And... I always thought, you know, it, it I mean, when it came out, and certainly with the title, it lured yeah. the audience in, especially guys, thinking, oh, this is just a TNA film and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. But it is a great film. Yeah. It is actually, it played at a Lincoln Center, actually, because it is such a surprisingly, and it, it is it is timeless. In a way. It's an 80s time capsule, but it is it still affects you today. And so when you say that to me, that's what it makes to me. It's a classic because you still can identify with it today. It's one of the first films to really portray teenagers as people, (laughs) you know, like not a kid or a cardboard cutout. Um, how, how did you go into that role? Because you're a newer actress at that time. You're going into it. You've got – talk about life experience. I mean, you were 18, right, when you shot the movies? 19. So, 19. 19. So, like, there's a big difference. Yeah, big difference. <laughs> at the time, it feels like it. But yeah, it's it, – you know, how did you go into that? Because everybody feels so grounded, so real, and the yeah. performances are all really solid in that movie. Um, I mean, how did you enter that that project? And and I'm so happy you asked this question because the film is, first of all, obviously the film is based, for those who don't know, on the director's life. He is the writer-director and it, it follows a film called Lemon Popsicle, which was done in Israel. That film, Lemon Popsicle, Last American Virgin is a remake of Lemon Popsicle. Lemon Popsicle took place in the 1950s and then Boaz Davidson, the director-writer, uh, turned it into a 1980s film. And it is, if you see both films, shot shot for shot the same film you will not believe it it's one of the coolest things you'll ever see i've never seen a film that did that which is cool um okay and then so growing up in the 70s as a teenager you know i i don't i can't say this i can't say this for sure but i have to say that in the 70s maybe it's because parents were working and they didn't get very involved with the, what their kids were doing. And so there was no phones and you had to be much more adult as a kid because like you didn't have the luxury of calling your parents if you got in trouble it, or if something happened, you had to handle it, you know, and, you know, and it could be anything from, you know, your parents, you know, the bus, you missed the bus and now you're going to walk home. Or you, you, uh, you know, somebody's beating you up at school and you can't get help. Like, or you have like, uh, or somebody calls you and breaks up and like, it's not on the internet. Nobody knows what's going on. And only you are going through this. And, you know, and your parents ask you what's going on. Like, you're like, I don't want to talk about it. Like, I don't know. There was just a different feeling. So from that, I have to say that to me, I felt like 
kids at that age really grew up a little bit more because they had to be more self-reliant because they didn't have the luxury of the communication we have with cell phones today, which I, I think is great. Uh, it's important. Like if you're in trouble, it's wonderful. But at that time, kids were a lot more, um, you go to a party and you can't call your parents to take you home. If they, if you don't have a ride home or something and people are doing drugs or whatever, like you, you have to figure it out and you have to stand on your own and your dignity. You have to deal with it. You know, yeah, I'll take it or sure. I'll take Like you, you have to be very, um, you have to know who you are because very early age, you have to kind of say what you're going to willing to do and what not. So that's the first piece of information about that film. Like, I feel like I was grown up a little bit, a little bit more. Plus I, I started acting when I was 10 years old. So I was actually used to being a professional, which meant, you know, get in the car, you know, my mom would take me to the city, take a subway or bus. I was in New York city at 10 years old, going for auditions, you know, coming back doing my homework in the car. Like I was very organized in that way with my mom. Like, you know, she took me at the beginning and then later on going to New York by myself and meeting my dad. And then later on just going by myself on auditions and, um, so that maturation and that slow development of, of, of learning to be on my own um, made me feel um, confident and um, good. You know, it's a good feeling yeah. to be, to, to, it's a really wonderful feeling to be a teenager and feel like you can handle the world, which mind you, you don't know, there's things you don't know and you probably shouldn't handle the world, <laughs> but we do. And, and I think kids who don't have a lot of hands-on parents are handling the world much younger than even teens. I mean, we have kids who are, you know, I know a kid that had to make her own breakfast when she was in elementary school hmm. because her mom was sick and she hmm. had to do it. You know, she had to just do it. So there's a lot of circumstances that affect that where you grow up faster or maybe you have a little younger sibling and you're responsible to take care of them and you're still a kid yourself. Yeah, you're like, right. oh, I don't want to do this, but mom's doing working dad's doing that i gotta be the babysitter i gotta deal with it so you grow up people grow up faster anyway yeah. less american virgin um is about even further the relationships you know and um and i always felt like um i was always i i, I had um a couple of boyfriends before i did virgin and i fell in love and i think that as an actor um, you gotta fall in love you gotta and you gotta have your heart broken that's just mm. the way it goes. Life goes like that. Like you can't grow up unless you have tragedy. And I mean, you know, until you've experienced falling in love and not having love and the ups and downs, because that's what you're going to play. I mean, essentially, yeah. you know, you're, you're going to, that's what the entertainment, well, certainly entertainment films and movies, they focus on that because that is such a big part of researching to find the right person. Yeah. So that film uh, happened and I was, I, before I did it, I, I thought, I thought, okay, well, there's a lot of like, you know, sexiness and there's nudity in the film. And, and I thought, okay, but the one thing I have as an actor is to show this experience that I had emotionally and to pay tribute to it, my personal experience. And so I feel like um, what I did in the film was I made it personal. I mean, I just took it and I just said, all right, I'm going to give my all and my vulnerability <laughs> and everything because that will, that truth is, I mean, at the time I didn't know how others would take it, but I knew for me, I had to say it. Like yeah. I knew it was important. Yeah. So, it was coming from a real place. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and everybody in the film, um, it was Lawrence's first film. That was the guy who played Gary. He mm. was 17. So he was very believable. Wow. He, we didn't even know he was 17. He, so that innocence was Lawrence. Yeah. And um, Steve Anton, who played Rick, was a little bit older than us. So his maturation and his confidence came because he was older than all of us. Like he was like, you know, he was the one who was like helping all of us. So even offset, we all kind of, you know, took care of each other and were like holding on to each other because there was, we were the leads. Like there was nobody to look up to as actors. We, we were the ones who carried the film. It's crazy how good those performances are, especially Lawrence. Like it's, it's, I mean that he's so believable, you know, and so relatable. And, and that's the thing is the movie plays on, Hey, it's the reason it still plays the same now as it did in 1982 is that it, it, is a believable group of people and it's universal experiences, different contexts, obviously different plot devices that get you there, but the beats hit the same and resonate with so many people. That's why it worked as a foreign film first. And then yes. in the U S and I, uh, you know, people have asked me, they said, do you, you know, would you like to make it a, a remake? Hmm. And for, I would like a sequel. That would be very fun. If Lawrence and I yeah. were adults and you got to see us fall in love and have that love scene you always wanted. And um, that would be very fun, but I'm not against having a remake if it was done with everything contemporary, like yeah. the, you know, the sexting and the texting and the, all the, you know, uh, the, the things that kids are going through today, but yeah. they'd have to keep the same ending. It would have to be the same yeah. movie, maybe the same shots, but this, but, uh, and Boaz Davidson was trying to do that at a, at a certain point. And they, he, they almost had, um, Steve, um, Steve Anton direct cause he's a director now. Uh, um, but then I don't know, things got backed up and, and, uh, so it didn't happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Who knows? Maybe another director someday will do it. Yeah, I think if it was to be remade right now, I think with all the 80s nostalgia, they would probably push for it to be a period piece. But I think it would be interesting to see that now, maybe with your characters as parents, you know, walking another generation through. It'd be really, really interesting. So there's something really curious here with the depiction of teens. And you talk about in your book, going from children to being the teen babe, you know, kind of vibe. And when it comes to depiction of teenagers you know when you look back now as a parent yourself you look back at the depiction of sexuality with teens in movies do you read that differently does that affect you differently some of those scenes or roles when i see myself in the film in virgin now i go oh my gosh i look so young i mean i look like i'm 14 like oh no i was like um and i I was 19 so therefore everyone can just relax take a deep breath okay (laughs) i wasn't abused i wasn't forced yeah it was there was a contract it said exactly what i would do and what i would not do and i think that is really important for actors to know actresses or actors if you are doing nudity it's always decided right before mm. I, i'm not no it's not decided right before but it's always decided in your contracts and if someone on set says hey why don't we add this you say no it's not in my contract and that's the way it goes so never worry just say no i'm not in my contract and don't feel like they're going to get fired off the set Believe me, they will not fire you off the set. They've worked very hard to hire you. So, um, and you could say it very nicely. You don't have to be all angry and, you know, but yeah. I, I had a situation like that at one point and I was like, it's not my contract, you know, sorry. It was interesting, like reading your book and talking about, you know, controversial roles like Brooke Shields, you know, and 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 the way yeah. it changed perception, you know, I was I was wondering if you looked back at those films and thought like, 
from Hollywood's representation of teenagers, there's being true and realistic to life circumstances. And then, you know, do you feel like looking back, is there like this level of exploitation too of like, oh, now you are the the babe or oh, you are the adult when they really well, weren't yet, will, you know? I'm glad you uh, said that. And I, I, I will say this. I was raised and my films I did were not, uh, I was still the victim of the situations. Mm-hmm. In, in Virgin, I was... A vic- like the, no. the girl who didn't stand up for herself, essentially. Like, I mean, she was passive. She was um, also in Amityville too passive. Yeah. Um, I wasn't the role model of what you want a girl to be. Mm-hmm. But then when I did Better Off Dead, that's when it shifted and I was able to be a role model, which I have to say is why Better Off Dead is my favorite role because it's the best role model for young girls. It's so imp- it's an empowering role. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's such a... I mean, really, if you look at Better Off Dead, you know, it's easy on first viewing to say like, oh, you're a you're one of the side characters of many side characters, but you're kind of what propels the movie forward. Like the last decision for him to do the act of going and skiing, like that is all your character motivating him. And And being, yes, and and I I just want to bring up how different that is from Virgin. So what I want to say is from the early 80s, to the end of the 80s, well, early 80s was girls were objects. They were objects of desire, uh, ex- unless they were a tomboy, and then that yeah. was a different story. But as the 80s went go, you started seeing more girls with um, speaking their mind, uh, not just being smart, but also being being well-rounded. I think that's what it is. And uh, so I often think like, you know, I'm the, when you look at when people look at me as an actor, I hope that they see the evolution of my characters and also how it, you know, it turns. But also maybe this is, you know, Karen from Less American Virgin, you maybe learn from. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like her. You know, I want to be maybe you maybe want curly hair, but you maybe say, oh, you know, I, I wish I had made uh, I, I want to be her, but a better version or I'm not going to be that vulnerable or I'm not mm-hmm. going to be that, you know make wrong decisions you know so i just think that it's very important with teen films for everybody to see these individually and then also make their decision about what would they do yeah. you know yeah it, circumstances that's what was so great about last spring and virgin is that it just again it it doesn't it doesn't just play in caricatures like it's not just showing you like here's broadly here's the jock here's the nerd here's the you know you definitely have those roles uh, but it it's Again, it's all very real, and they all are flawed, just like human beings are flawed, you know. And wrong. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, and it is interesting seeing your development in each of your roles, and they are roles. So it's you know, you're sometimes you're playing the very passive and very innocent, and sometimes you're playing the take charge, you know, type of character. And um, I, I want to talk about Better Off Dead because, like I said, that was on repeat all the time at our house, and it was it was a constant. My mom's obsessed with that film. Um, what was it like, you know, getting started on that movie, working with Savage Steve Holland, and um, you know, really falling in love with that character? Well, this was the first film that was uh, again. It was a writer director. I love working for writer directors because they oh. take that that movie and then they move it to the next level. Like they, they know they see it in their heads. So 
it, it always comes out really well, I think, when you have a writer director because it's not like they're giving their baby to somebody else and say, you raise it. You know, it's yeah, like, right. they're, they're like, oh, no, this is how it goes. So that's very cool. Um, I was so excited to work with Savage on the script. Um, I mean, to work on the film, uh, because first, I loved Monique. I was like, mm. I want that part. Like, I, I really felt like I could make it great. Um, it connected to me energy-wise. I really was like, I'm very similar to her thinking. So that was part of it. But I also love artists. I mm. love animation. And I love the fact that they took claymation animation. And I found that was like really outstanding to do a film that included that. Uh, because I also liked art. I went to art school as well. And so uh, that, I just, better off dead. Um, the humor, um, it was so funny. And it wasn't crude funny up yeah. until that time every movie had crude humor because people didn't know how to necessarily be funny so they're either doing bathroom jokes or they're you know falling down or i mean that's what was so interesting from coming from an animation background is people who are in animation they understand that that funny part of animation is what's going on in the background with what's going on being said you know juxtaposition and I just, I just love the film, so I'm really happy you love it. And yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's wonderful and quirky and weird, you know. And and that movie and One Crazy Summer are both ridiculously fun and entertaining movies. And you're right, they are different, you know. And it's it's honestly, it's what I expected Last American Virgin to be. I expect it to be kind of like the Porky's esque style comedy, but it's not. And Better Off Dead. Same thing. When you hear 80s comedy, something comes out in your mind and it's decidedly not that. Like it's a very clean, yeah. for lack of a better word, very clean movie. It's quirky and strange and, and very deliberate choices that either land really hard and then the ones that don't, it's funny because they didn't land <laughs> you know, the way. So it's yeah. a it's a good blend. Um, I have to say something to the yeah. filmmakers who are listening to this. This is really important. Okay. So – when we first read Better Off Dead, when we first had the script, there was a lot of foul language in hmm. it. There were some things that were somewhat inappropriate, okay? Now, filmmakers in general, and I bet it's you, always think, well, I'm going to put the F-bomb in there, and I'm going to write this, and then I'm going to, what's wrong with you? They're all timid people writing these movies, and da da, da. Let me just tell you something. All filmmakers are like that. All filmmakers want to do, I'm going to, say this and do this and no one's ever done this well yes they have but guess what when you go to a studio they're gonna take that out because they want more audience to come see it so savage had to deal with that at first when he had his script he as a young filmmaker and he was 24 mm. came in and was like here's my script and everyone went that's hilarious despite the bad language right because yeah. everyone thought oh bad language is in there so that means we'll get audiences at that time you had to go to a movie to hear that. You had to go in the theater to hear bad language. You, you couldn't hear it at home. Well, nowadays you hear it everywhere. You're on TikTok, yeah. whatever. So there's no reason to do it. So what happens is that language is taken out. So filmmakers, wise up. Get your talent up. Like get, your, get your standards up because the idea is that just because you say a bad word or an F-bomb doesn't make it any more entertaining. It needs no. to be... The voice of your character, and I don't mean blah, 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 but I mean like it has to be the story. It has to be the uh, truthfulness. Um, but 
uh, has, as you can tell, Better Off Dead had the, and when I say voice of the director, it's just like, it's so totally savage. Like, yeah. I mean, you, it's, it, you, I can't even explain that. Good filmmakers, they just come and their work is original. So I had to say that because I want you to know that 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 happens. Filmmakers think, oh, I'm going to do this. And that is, they took it all out because they wanted to increase the general audience. And you know what? It didn't even make a difference. It was still funny. Yeah. So that's the point. The point is you take that dialogue out and it's still hilarious. So, Well, that's go. that kind of was exactly what I wanted to ask about because the, it seems like so many modern comedies have dipped back into being plant the camera here on a tripod, here on a tripod, so you've got two close-ups and your wide shot, and then they just try to outshock each other. And that is, you know, it's a lot of improvisation, you know. And with Better Off Dead, what I was kind of curious about is the movie feels like you just went bananas on set every day and like it feels like there's this crazy chaotic chaotic energy to it um how much of that movie is improvisation versus actually structured you know like here's the script here's the shot here's the you know here's the weird side plot of you know the cooking and things like this like you know because it, it does feel chaotic but it also feels extremely organized and well planned out it was very planned out um, and it was very organized. And um, and also during the 80s, improv was not encouraged. Um, it was not encouraged at all because obviously, you know, writer directors usually try to make a point. But here's what happened. So every scene. Well, first of all, the what Savage did was he hired really talented people all around. Hmm. people loved the script, so they were willing to do it. I mean, I honestly said when Vincent Schiavelli decided to do it, and he was in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, and Oscar-winning, no. you know, like Oscar actor, uh, Oscar-winning film actor, um, I was shocked that he decided he wanted to do it. I mean, big people wanted to be in this film. So uh, what happened was every scene that was done was what had the attitude of like almost you're in the scene and it's almost like a short so that that scene is takes uses everything it can out of the scene so uh for instance um in my particular case when i went to um when i go into the restaurant with john to uh have the tv dinner he takes me Mm -hmm. on the date and we we were just they were going to just shoot me walking in but then what because savage he trusts his actors. Like he said, well, you know, anybody, you know, if you have an idea, let me know. Um, and that doesn't mean he took every idea, but he takes what works. So I was like, Oh, you can't just have me walking in. I have to have a blindfold because he wants to surprise Monique. I don't want to know it's the burger place. When I walk in there, I might have an attitude about it or, you know, so it, I don't want to have any negativity, you know, coming into that. I will be totally surprised. So we just off the cuff, somebody found some kind of thing to put around my head and, and I walked in. And so, um, so you know, and then I can be surprised in the room. So the people that were in the film, the improv was always based whatever we did on what the importance of the scene was. Mm-hmm. And it, and it always had to further the character. So as an example, when Danny runs uh, Dan Schneider, uh, I'm meeting John Cusack in front of the school. I'm shaking his hand. We're having this moment. And Dan Schneider comes up and he has a balloon, but he accidentally drops it. And then he kind of does a little dance and then he comes to us. 
that's indicative of his character, who he is. He's childlike. He's a kid. He's not grown up yet. He's not ready for a relationship, but he's going to try to make his stand afterwards. So we see how silly it is that like, here's this big guy, but he's still a baby. He's, you know, a little kid. And then yet he comes in. So it's a very subtle nod to reminding the audience, this is still a kid that's not ready for a relationship. Hmm. And so like, there's little things in it. So there was a lot of improvising, but it was the in the script. Everything was on the script, but it, the improvisations were done within the confines of what was necessary in the scene. And yeah. Savage did a lot of footage and some of it he kept and some he didn't. So um, but I will say shooting the movie. Oh, my gosh. So funny. And when when Mrs. Smith grabs my cheeks and she does that, I mean, nobody expected that voice to wrecke, you know, like that voice to come yeah. out and the combination of her bright hair and the bright clothes and the thing. And it was the combination when we were on set, that energy, it just every everyone's energy, flop, you know, went off each other. And it was I mean, it was it was so, so, so funny. And even I when I was in that scene with the photo and looking at Danny, Danny was a genius because he was like. He was like playing with his little doll and that doll represented like me, like I'm the little, little, mm -hmm. you know, like, so he's like, I want to have a doll and she's not going to be my big person doll. Like, you know, he's not ready for a relationship. So he's playing with it and he's like looking over at me and I'm like, so understated. Mm -hmm. And that gave the nice juxtaposition to Mrs. Smith, who is over the top. So, and then I can play it more real because I'm, I'm, I'm with the super understated, very big actor. And then I can fill that middle in. So, um, it's all kind of a, I would say the combination of Savage's vision. And then because he was a good director and trusted his actors, he hired actors he could trust. Then he could allow us to do some things. And if he decided he wanted to use it, fine. If not, you know, he can tell us, oh no, make it more subtle or bring it up. Yeah. But we knew how to follow direction. We knew how to bring it up and not down. So I'd say when you hire actors, the more experienced, the more they can, um, they can uh, like alter their performance, you know, like bigger, small, they can, what is it like? It's like a tuner, you know, you yeah. can make it higher or lower, but very subtly um, when you have people who are inexperienced, you're going to have to be much more hands-on do this, do that because that they may, they don't see the big picture like you do. You know, if the right. director sees the whole story. So he's like, Oh no, right here. I want you to do just, don't look at, just look off in the distance. Don't say anything. Just stop. You know, so you might have to just, explain something but the actor may not know what's really going on so and that you know if you like that person if that person has vulnerability it's worth it to you to direct them yeah you know well yeah so. i has there ever been a point in your career where you know you had an idea for the character where you thought like this is what my character would do and the director said you know that's not what your character would do and oh, yeah. you know where you're where, i have a yeah. good one um Last American Virgin, hmm. when we went to the the house, and I it was after it was before I think it was before we go for the abor abortion, and I'm really sad, right? Hmm. And I'm just standing there, I'm looking down, and and I wanted to play that scene heavy crying because I was like I thought I'd come into the house and I'd break down into tears, and Boaz said, "No, no, no, I want you to watch this," and he showed me 
the clip in Lemon Popsicle of the girl just standing there and just just looking down and tearful, but looking down with no movement. And so that, and I went, oh, okay, that's what's going on. Like to me, in my vision of it, I went, oh, you know, I would be, you know, so upset and so, you know, a team that I am, you know, so emotional. And then here's the director going, no, she is just, she's just still, and she's just no movement. And, and the focus on that scene really was on Gary trying to make everything better. And she was just standing there and Gary's like, you know, the house is this, and you know, I got this and the grandmother here and, you know, and so he's got the energy and I'm just still, and you realize he can't say anything to make me happy. Yeah. You know? Well, that's, that's two examples, two very different films, two very different examples, but like Better Off Dead and what you just mentioned, like when you have the chaos of Ricky and his mom and you're being the still, you know, very calm, quiet presence and they're doing their thing very well and the big and loud and same thing with, uh, with Last American Virgin, you've got him trying to figure out, he's frantic, he's turning, trying to turn on music, he's trying to open the blinds and all this different stuff. And there's the contrast between you and him. And that that's interesting because it is the same thing where a lot of movies I think fail is where, 80, again, teen comedies, everybody's playing it to 11. So yes. everything just feels like noise. Too much moving. And the audience doesn't know where to put the attention. Right. You know, there's right. too much going on. It's the same thing. Like, honestly, as actors, you know, I mean, there are times if if you're Italian, if you're playing someone who's Italian, you're going to use your hands. Right. And that's like fine. But generally, actors don't tend to use their hands because we want to focus on their face. We want to focus on their eyes. We want to focus on mm. what they're saying. We want to focus on the feeling. And if the hands talk too much and there's been a real a thing where actors nowadays, I think I see a lot more hand movements. It takes away from the tension. It can take away from the from the focus of the people watching, you know? So, I mean, but then again, and then also actors talking very quickly now used to be very yeah. slowly, especially in comedy, very mm-hmm. rapid fire, quirky dialogue. Absolutely. Right. Everything rapid fire. You know, I'm going to say what I think is interesting about that is yes, the old generation can't keep up with the new generation, but, 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 you know, like, what do they just say? And I didn't hear that. And I didn't get that on one hand it causes the audience to watch it again. So you're getting repeat watches because, oh, I missed that the first time, which is what people want. They want people to watch a movie several times. And also um, what it does is it it makes, um, it, it, it speaks to this generation of filmmaking. So we're going to look back 20 years from now and go, oh yeah, remember when they spoke really fast and that comedy was really, it was, that was what was happening. So even though like I, per- there might be people who go, oh, the movies are not like the 80s. You know, we don't take our time anymore. Or even, I mean, remember like the, you know, the 40s, you know, and they would stand and they hit the light and then they turn. Yeah. And, you know, there was even slower. That was mm. even slower. Uh, but and now today, maybe some people go, oh, that's boring. But we can look at it artistically and go, oh, my God, the light hit her face. Yeah. It was so dramatic because she took her time. But the truth is, it all reflects its generation. Yeah. So that's what I, I think with the quick speaking. You're still working and still, you know, still acting and now teaching. And, and um, I, what has that been like now? Because you've got this, I, I mean, iconic, <laughs> you're an iconic figure. You know, there's, there's people who n- now that you're teaching, who are watching these films, watching you play these characters. And, and, you know, do you feel, um, 
do you feel like there's a certain type of film or a certain type of, of trajectory that now, you know, as you, as you've moved forward in your career that you're like, okay, I want to do this. Like, this is the kind of passion projects that I have in mind. Yes. Yes. Uh, first of all, I so appreciate you saying that. Um, there are not many actors who are still acting today that acted when they were 10 years old. Um, Brooke Shields, uh, Lori Laughlin, who was with my manager. We grew up like we had the same manager growing up. Uh, Elizabeth Shue uh, grew up with her too. Um, We all started as kids, you know, starting acting uh, in New York. Um, You don't see a lot of us still here. So I feel that it's a very... um, very special position I'm in. And I really, uh, the reason why I'm acting today is also, you know, it is a role modeling thing. Can you act as you get older? Yes, you can. And I've had some, as I'm, because I'm older now, I've gotten more character work, which is so much fun. Mm. And when I was younger, I wanted to do more character work, but you know what? I'm glad I got to do the ingenue because I know people who wish they had played ingenues and they were like, I never got to play an ingenue. And I'm like, so I'm really glad that I had that experience and that people, it reminds them of the eighties. Like my work brings them back. So there's a legacy there. Yes. There's a legacy in in the sense that, you know, teen movies influenced teens who were growing up and then will probably influence the future. You know, Uh, people will look back at the eighties at the films I was in and go, that's what that was like back then, you know? Um, So now that I'm working um, and I'm doing all kinds of, Films. In fact, by the way, I just got a Lifetime Achievement Award two days ago, uh, which was crazy. And yeah. when they offered it to me, I was like, wow, that means more than anything because it, I made me reflect that I have had a career throughout my entire life. Right. Um, so what my, my ideas for projects in the future, um, I would love to do a sci-fi, just like something, you know, futuristic um in outer space i've never played that kind of character and uh that would be amazing that was a wonderful experience um not even necessarily that but i would i do love sci-fi so that would be fascinating um and i've done horror now i've gone to horror because that to me is where the drama is yeah. so really have i just did a ted bundy american boogeyman and um had a i'm actually interviewing daniel uh <gasps> at the end of this month so i'm really excited oh my god the scene in that film like people have said to me Oh my God, Diane, that was like so incredible, like so real. I was like, so I'm, what I'm doing now is I'm giving little, like I'm getting to express myself as a, an adult woman in these roles that I, you know, it, they're just, it's just a gift. It's really cool. I'm going to be in a movie called High Holiday where I play uh, uh, a kind of a, a stiff uh, sort of Southern conservative woman. Um, but anyway, so those are coming out and a movie called clay zombie where I play like an eighties VJ. So that's, that's coming up. That's actually, that's awesome. uh, it's super fun. That's an indie film. Yeah. Uh, but what I really haven't done and I would love to do um, is um, my, uh, I would like to be on a show and it, uh, either re- uh, recurring or on a regular uh, television or some kind of series, whether it be HBO or Amazon prime, something where, where I have a part, um, and it could be anything. I mean, it could be a, a crime drama. It could be uh, a comedy. Um, it could be, uh, you know, a, a flaky mom. It could be, a, be a, you know, a career, you know, a, um, but a stage mom. Um, it could be even, um, uh, you know, a, an officer or something. It could be anything. And, or like um, even a ghost adventures type of, of 
yeah. world, you know, like ghosts, like uh, X-Files, you know. So I'm open. Um, it just always has to be kind of about what people see me in. So if you if you're a filmmaker out there and you have an idea uh, where I fit something that you're doing, don't hesitate to contact me because I'm my I it always is about the material. If I like it and I feel connected to it, uh, I'll do it. And then I've had roles where mm, it just doesn't feel right. I'm like, mm, I can't I can't do it. So yeah. you tell me <laughs> then I uh, will see. It's acting, you know, yeah, it's a different exactly. Role. Hello. I could be evil, but <laughs> you know, um, I actually, oh, actually, funny you say this. I actually did a film called Waking Nightmare. It has not come mm. out yet, and at some point it will. And I, ha- if you see this film, you will never, ever trust me again. You will, <laughs> you will be so scared of me. Mm. I make the mother and Carrie look nice. Oh, wow. Pretty unbelievable. It's, what, it's like a, an amazing acting job. Like, they, people who've seen it, they went like, Oh my God, like you should get an award for this. So when yeah. it, if, if ever it comes out, go to a, go to a film festival if it ever plays Waking Nightmare. It was really interesting uh, watching like Amityville uh, Murders, seeing you revisit, you know, because it, it was such a different, Amityville 2 is obviously on its own. And you play uh, for a, a brief second, you get to play evil, you know, really quickly in, in that movie, which is shocking because that's the first time I had seen you in that context. And then, you know, going into Anvil Murders, you playing now the mother role in the film, a totally different angle and different perspective. And it's it's really, it's really interesting. It's just interesting seeing yeah, you get right. to continue to do more and more things, more and more angles and perspectives. And right, to, to play the child in one movie, in the Amityville part two, and then to play the mother in the same story. No actress has ever been given that opportunity. And that's because of Daniel. He was yeah. an angel to think of me and have me come back. And the chances of, okay, you watch a movie, the chances that the actor that you asked to come back is even acting anymore is, yeah. is huge. Like the fact that I was able to act, I wanted to act and I was ready to act. And then yeah. I was able to give a, you know, a good performance is very rare. People don't usually, um, don't usually do that, you know? Yeah. Well, and the fact so, Bert Young was able to come back was so amazing. And, and, oh, you it know, was so sweet of him to do that. I, will always be eternally grateful for him to do that. He's an angel. That was such a nice thing for him to come. Um, and I loved our scene. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really, it was really neat watching those back to back and, and Chelsea Ricketts is amazing. And, and, and everything she said, I, I watched Jackals uh, a little bit before that. And she's so good in that. And she plays that very innocent character so well too. And it was like, it was interesting seeing you basically play the reverse roles in, in those, in those films. Um, fun? And she would do things that I remember doing. Like she was on the steps and everything. And I was like, Oh my gosh, deja vu. Like she <laughs> is doing my, the steps and the murder and the. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm definitely excited to talk with uh It's an interesting connection. Cause I'll talk to, I'll be talking to Daniel. I think the, th- 25th or something right before Halloween, which is appropriate. Um, so it'll be, it'll be fun talking about that. But um, I, I definitely want to go ahead and move us into our random round. Um, like I said, I could talk about this forever and maybe I'll hit up in February when your new book comes out and we'll, uh, we'll keep this going. But, um, but yeah, I end every, every single episode with this uh, random round. So it's some quick questions, some quick answers and uh, get your perspective. Uh what is a movie that your diehard fans would be surprised that you enjoy? That I enjoy. 
All right. Oh, all right. Um, what was it called? Wings of Desire. Hmm. And the music is amazing. Yeah, and it's, I almost think it's black and white now that I think about it. But it wasn't done in a black and white time. It just, it's, it is lovely. So, yeah, maybe it did have no, or very little dialogue, if any. Wings yeah, I can, desire. I picture the poster. Interesting, I just pulled it up. Um, another one to add to the list. It's, uh, it's a very, like, it, it's a film you, if you, it's beautiful. beautiful hmm. film. Poetic, you know. What is the best? I mean, you're kind of the queen of the '80s, but so you might be biased. But what is the best decade of film history? Oh my goodness, that's hard. Okay, <laughs> that's really hard. Wow. Well, the best decade—that's tricky. You know, it's all about when you grow up. You know what you're hmm. when you grow up. You have those films that you are. You just think it are so awesome. I mean, I love the films. I love the, like the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and all those, the very beautiful looking dancing mm. films and stuff. But the thing about those films is those films, those musical films, um, they're very fun to watch, but they don't, they don't give you, they don't teach you anything. Like they, they, they just sort of like you, you like them and it's like candy, but you're, and you, and you, and you maybe put them on a pedestal, you know, hmm. it's beautiful to watch them. Um, but I will say that, you know, and even silent films, great to watch, but all right. So I'm just coming from my, as being a kid, I have to say the, well, maybe the eighties, I'll say, I was going to say the late seventies because like Taxi Driver and all the gritty films yeah. that were very raw. I really liked, but that might be because I grew up watching them. Um, but the thing that happened in the late seventies was it reached a, a level of realism that was that it, it, it's interesting. The impact I think it had on audiences was that is someplace I would do. These are things I'm watching that I would never go to and never do, but mm. it grounds me. Like it makes the audience go, okay, I'm grateful for my life or I'm glad I'm not that person. Or like, you know what I mean? It makes the yeah. audience go calm. But the eighties was a time where every it kind of was like, get out there, do your thing. You can make it happen. Right. Yeah. So I have such high energy. I kind of like that calm thing going on. Like, you know, Here's a heroin addict in the in the you know suffering in an in alleyway in New York, and you know he's finding his you know pimp, and they're like you know what I mean? Like to me, like that was like yeah. oh wow, that's so deep, and like there's so much <laughs> going on underneath, and um, yeah. so I kind of bought into that. Um, but I will say that what was best, uh, the best generation for me, I think, is the '80s because it is an upbeat genre, and right yeah. now we, we need that. Yeah, it's a well. It's a reason it's it keeps getting dipped back into. I mean, everything right now is an homage to that time period, and it is. It's uplifting. It's a party. You know, the seventies yeah. was very much the art. It was the you know, it was the. I mean, early Scorsese, that very gritty, grungy, interesting yeah. aesthetic. And um, you know, I don't know where the world is right this second. I don't think oh, people I'm, are clamoring for that. You know, and I'm going to tell you what I actually I I now realize too. See, in the 70s, it was very commercial. Everything was very, mm. like, product and sell and buy. So the, all those films, like the Scorsese films, were, was uh, uh, it's like um, counter countering that. 
hmm. and saying, you know, all this stuff is fake. We need yeah. realism. So that's why realism was born out of that fakeness. And then the eighties was a, a, it was like a rebuttal to like, we got to be upbeat. Like we, it yeah. was a time of women were getting in power, like women were empowered and like wearing power suits and like, we can do it. And it was a time of, um, sexuality oh sex was so big in the 80s <laughs> like another thing i forgot sex was huge in the 80s sex was like like so big because people um you know i guess aids was happening so they were like kind of working against that and like so sex was it was free it wasn't like free like the hippie age but it was like you know go you know have sex and you're an empowered woman and women can have men then go out and date many men and so you know not just men and so very empowering time for women so um yeah i can see why you know now like people go back to that and go yeah whatever happened to that time where where there was a sense of confidence and, and success was in the future and you were going to be a business person you're going to have a business and so every generation has their motivation. Right. 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 And also you ask, you say to me right now, why are we going back to that time? Because right now, all the people who grew up in the, in the teen years are now adults and we are longing for the old days. We look right. back, we want to hear that music and we want to, you know, we want to feel that. So yeah, that's, that's why it comes. Every generation will have it. The nineties will come back. Yeah. Maybe right. it is already. I don't know. Yeah. Um, if you were given the green light to remake any film, uh, what would you choose and why? Wow. That's a great question. Any film or like the ones of films? Uh, in any film. It could be wow. one that you've made or it could be a, a completely different movie. Wow. Well, I wouldn't want to make Better Off Dead, but I would because I would want my daughter to be in it. I want hmm. her to play Monique. <laughs> so that's like, okay, so that's just a little like my thing, right? Um, and, oh, wow. I would do a virgin if that was, if we redid virgin, I would I would be interested in doing that. I would even consider writing that. That'd be kind of cool uh, yeah. to do that again. But, um, wow, remake of a movie. See, it's so funny. I never think of remakes. I always think of like, what's new based on what we have going on in the world now. Yeah. Um, like I'm waiting for the movie about uh, the pandemic through the eyes of like a kid yeah. or a teenager, you know, like when's that going to come out where we're going to see that kids where the pandemic isn't scaring people. It's just like a thing I have to deal with, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, um, but I don't know. I, I have to think about it. That's yeah. that, you stumped me with that one. <laughs> I don't know Good. what I would Good. Um, and then the last question I always ask is, uh, you know, like I mentioned, we have a lot of aspiring filmmakers that listen, directors, you know, actors, writers. If you could give one piece of advice to an aspiring filmmaker who's listening, what would it be? I have a lot of <laughs> thoughts in my mind. But suddenly made me quiet. Um, don't keep moving forward. Hmm. Keep moving forward. Don't stop. As a filmmaker, don't just make the movie. Don't wait for other people's permission. Don't wait for other people's money. Find a way to make it. Make it with friends. Make it happen. Like, I think a lot of times uh, if you're a filmmaker and you feel and you're and you run into, um, well, if you're the kind of person who's a filmmaker, you're probably a filmmaker because you do move forward. 
Hmm. You know, you're not somebody who, who takes no for an answer. Um, I remember um, Brett uh, Ratner, he said something like, you know, he never took no for an answer. And I always thought that was very cool because he made people give him money, made people, you know, yeah. give him opportunity. He didn't give up. If they said no, he bugged them. until. <laughs> I mean, not to say that you should bug people, but but it is kind of interesting, you know, like if people see your passion, they will do it. And if you want to get something done, also you know, find your own sources, be strategic. I mean, if you need to earn money, you could do a, a go, what is it? A go save? What do they call that? A, oh, GoFundMe? GoFundMe. Or, or you can, you know, maybe you find a sponsor and you contact them directly hmm. and you say, listen, my film is, you know, going to be taking place, you know, in, you know, it's going to have, you know, products in it that represent your time period. What do you say? Oh, we do a deal where you bring in your product. Like, like think about your project. Think about what kind of people would be involved in that, that what kind of products would be used. And maybe you can, can contact those people and be strategic and trying to find a way to make it happen. Um, and I say this to writers too, because there's so many people who are great writers, but they have the script and all they do is go, what agent will read it? That's old school. We used to do that, but nowadays those people get left in the dust because the chances of things getting made, they don't move as fast as you should. Yeah. You know what I mean? Wow. You give a script to somebody, they say, I'll look at it. And then three years later, they haven't looked at it and you've wasted three years. And guess what? Your content is now out of date. Hmm. So if you've got something, especially if it's current, you've got to find a way to think, think in terms of, how can I make this happen? What do I need to do? And you need to do it yourself because you, no one will care about your film as much as you do. Wow. And then if you show your, that you care, people will then want to jump on board because they see how much you're into it. And here's an example. I'll give you this great example. The gentleman who did the movie Clay Zombies hmm. contacted me during the pandemic, asked me to film scenes for him and send them to him. All right. So first of all, what kind of person does that? Like, uh, excuse me. First of all, he contacted me because he's a huge fan of mine. So it mm. came from a sincere place Two, play zombies. I could have said, oh, play zombies. I'm not doing that. He took the chance to be brave and to find a way to contact me. Found, got found my email, wrote me a letter. Three, I loved the idea of play zombies. I said, I'm just, I love that based on the title. I want to be in this movie, play zombies. I'm in. Four, he sent me the script. I looked at it. I told him, I like this. I don't like this. I was very honest with him. And then he was willing to work with me. I said to him, I'm going to shoot this. I'm, I'm not a person who knows how to shoot things, but it was the pandemic and I had lights and I had backgrounds and I was like, okay, I'm going to make this happen. And I actually, it was, a, it was a growing thing for me too. I was like, okay, let's make, let's see if I can shoot something. I make the set. It was very fun for me to even do it because I was going out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Most actors, probably not. They would have been like, I'm not showing up and doing it unless I'm not a set designer. I'm not a clothing designer, you know, yeah. but he happened to find the right person. Yes. So I shot the scene, sent it to him. I don't know how to transfer things. I fig figured it out. I learned, I learned, I went beyond. So he gets the material. He loves it. He adds it to his film and all the people in the film were so excited. They went up reshooting scenes to make it even better. Wow. Then he said, he said, I want a theme song to the show, to my, for my movie. He got, he ca called a band cold that he liked. They wrote 
a song, a theme song for it. And I said, what if I'm in the video? And he's like, oh my God, would you? And I'm in the video. So if you go to YouTube and say Clay Zombies, Fire Tiger, I'm in the video. Hmm. So one thing leads to the next. You have to be brave. You don't know. And if I would have shot him down, what is he to lose? Yeah. He said no. So, and now I'm going to fly. He's flying me out to Ohio for the premiere premiere and hmm. with Fire Tiger. And so we are going to be in uh, Columbus, Ohio on uh, October 30th wow. for the screening. So if you're in Columbus, Ohio, come to the theater and watch it with me. All right. We'll be there. So anyway, there's my story. Filmmakers make it happen. Yeah, it's it's yeah. <laughs> no, that story is such a good example. And it, it is something where, you know, like you mentioned, if you get a no, like you're in the same position you were when you started, like you're not losing anything. <laughs> like, but if they say yes, it's everything. Yes, see, here's the thing. You have to find people who get you. And you know why I helped him? Because I want to help filmmakers. Hmm. And I and why do I do my daughter is a filmmaker. My daughter makes movies. And so I see how that helped her. So now I go, okay, if you've got material, maybe I can do something. Again, it might be not something that I want involved in. I don't know. I, you have to take the chance, you know, but that's what it is. You have to reach out to the actors, but this is the truth. You have to reach out to actors that you genuinely love. It can't yeah. be fake. It can't be just because they're rich or because they've got <sighs> followers or, you know, it has to be from the heart. That's yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, it's really great advice. And like I said, I could talk to you for hours and I want to say thank you for taking the time to do this and uh, saying yes. When I reached out via random message to, to do this and, uh, and it, it means a lot to me and thank you for being uh, as cool as you could possibly be. It's, it really means a lot to me. Um, it's always good when you meet someone that you've watched on screen and they're down to earth and just really easy to talk to. And it, it means a lot to me. Male see buckets. And I have a question. Is your daughter there? She's not. She's, uh, she's just putting down, I think to go to sleep or okay, taking a bath her, or something. What's her name? Uh, Piper. Okay. So say bonjour Piper to her. Hello. Monique, je know, say hello. Okay. We'll <laughs> do. Like, that, mom? We'll do. Later. My, my mom on the other hand would be thrilled, but uh, no, just, what's your mom's name? Oh, uh, Marbeth. Marbeth. Bonjour, Marbeth. Merci beaucoup for liking the film Better Off Dead. Merci. <laughs> She's going to flip out with that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, thank you so much. Um, I really do appreciate it. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the episode. Be sure to head to the show notes, grab a copy of uh, one of the two books that will be listed in there and a third book coming soon. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.